Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blemson, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the global news stories that matter. How are markets reacting to this week's failure of trade talks between the US and China? Katie Martin, the FT's Capital Markets Editor, discusses the impact on equities, bonds and currencies with Michael McKenzie, the FT's Senior Investment Commentator. So it may be difficult to tell where we're going on trade talks between the US and China, but it's certainly fair to say that those talks have taken a turn for the worse over recent days. The US has obviously ramped up a bunch of tariffs on Chinese imports and China has responded in kind. The market didn't really see this coming and it doesn't like it. Mike, tell us what's going on on the market's front. Well, I think the equity market has stood out from other areas such as currencies and US Treasury bonds this year. It's simply assumed that there was always going to be a trade deal. And to a certain extent, that's still the call or the consensus thought amongst many that ultimately we will get to a deal. The equity market has come under pressure. Some would say it was already looking like it was going to have a tough summer because it's rallied so much this year. And the two big questions, of course, are, is the global economy actually going to pick up steam and therefore boost corporate earnings towards the end of the year? And is China's stimulus going to flow through to the global economy like it has in the past? Now, trade has sort of been on the back burner really since the beginning of the year when the temperature sort of eased off between Donald Trump and Beijing. It's now come back and it's come back with a vengeance and equities don't like it. And in particular, we've seen two key sectors which really are the poster children of the global supply chain and really of globalisation over the last three decades and which are so important in terms of the trading relationship between China and the rest of the world, car makers and chip makers. Mm. They've really been knocked this week. We're getting a little bit of a bounce back, but it's a classic bounce. You've had the worst one-day sell-off in stocks we've seen this year. So you can say that the equity market is shaken a little. And so really the thing to watch for now is when do people step in and buy the dip? Unfortunately, the timeline for a trade deal, it was assumed before that the upcoming G20 meeting in Japan at the end of June would sort of be the big song and dance signing ceremony. We're now sort of hearing from both sides that, well, actually, Xi will meet with Trump and maybe they can salvage something. Mm. So we've got a very uncomfortable waiting period, and that's going to leave equities vulnerable to tweets from both sides. And I think in that environment, you're seeing a lot of investors just buying insurance. They're buying options, put options against the S&P and other equity benchmarks. They're coming in and buying VIX. Which is the volatility index, index. which had been at out-of-control lows. So to say that the market didn't see this coming, you can see that in the volatility indices. The market was not priced for any volatility. Although, interestingly enough, the monthly survey from Bank of America of institutional investors says a lot of them have been buying insurance. Mm. So I think you've seen this. You've seen treasuries and other global sovereign bond yields falling and finding buyers whenever there has been a rise in yields this year because people have been adjusting their portfolios. They want to have the ballast or the insurance of government bonds against their equity longs. Now, from a central bank perspective, where does the pain end up landing from this? Is it on governments through fiscal policy or is it ultimately on the consumer? Is that going to be the bit that they're going to worry about? Well, I think if you see the US escalate tariffs, so they're threatening to apply a 25% tariff to the remaining 300 billion of Chinese imports. Many of these are consumer products and that would really be felt by consumers. I think companies would be reluctant to absorb the hit. So that could have a short-term effect on inflation 
and push it up. Mm. Although I think the bond market is taking a much longer view here and thinks the economy is late cycle in the US. It's slowing down. It's a lot more vulnerable than people think. And that's why we've been seeing inflation expectations for five and 10 years falling mm. since the middle of last month. It could be interesting from a US equities perspective in the sense that it's only a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about a potential earnings recession for US listed companies. That faded away because results beat expectations. And now suddenly, as you say, companies are going to be in that situation where they have to calculate how much of this cost can we absorb ourselves and how much do we have to pass on to consumers. The willingness to pass it on to consumers, I'm going to guess, is going to be quite low. So this just mechanically has to eat away at corporate earnings, right? Yes, it does. And against that, of course, is that if you continue to see long-dated treasury yields fall, that in the past has helped keep equities spinning. But I think we're reaching a point where we're going to see, I would say over the summer, the message from the bond market is fairly dour. And we know that bonds tend to take, I guess, a less optimistic view than the equity They're market does. They're a miserable does. bunch, yeah. yes. But we are going to see whether or not the slowdown in the US economy really is a lot more material than people expect Mm. at the moment. And if that is the case, and if US corporate earnings don't rebound, and that's sort of the forecast for the end of the year, particularly in the fourth quarter, then I think US equities have a tough time. I think it's a sideways market at best from here. Sideways, but wobbly. But wobbly (laughs) and subject to the tweet. Now, the other interesting element to all of this, and I guess this is where it's sort of game theory on steroids comes into play, is if you get a big enough drop in equity prices, does that actually compel Donald Trump to come back to the table and cut a deal with China? Donald Trump is playing what he thinks is a strong hand because he's looked at the growth of the economy in the US in the first quarter. It was a lot better than people expected. Others point out that a lot of that growth was due to inventories. So in the second quarter, we should see a bit of a retrenchment in the US in terms of its growth. He's also very happy to see stocks at record highs, which is where they got to last month. However, if you see a big enough shock in the market, it could very well open the door for Donald Trump to say, OK, we need to do a deal. And I think that just feeds into the general uncertainty at the moment we're seeing in markets. Yeah, which is something that we're increasingly having to get used to, right? But an important point to make, though, is that the S&P is less than 5% below its record high. Mm -hmm. This is still a fairly limited pullback. So it also shows you that the market has had a very good year already. It was always due to have a 5% to 10% pullback. I mean, a 5% to 10% pullback in an equity market, that's a healthy market. That's what markets should be doing. Unfortunately, we've had an era here of very low bond yields, which has actually sort of smoothed over Mm. the usual mechanisms of how equities behave. The other interesting point I think that's worth pointing out here is that credit used to be a leading indicator of market turmoil, particularly for equities. We're not really seeing that anymore. And again, this tells you it reflects in part low bond yields, the idea that the Fed will come in and step in and potentially cut rates if things get really out of shape. And until we see companies starting to run into trouble with their high levels of leverage, we're not really going to see a reaction in the credit markets. And that's the thing that's been missing to now. So as one fund manager has put it to me the other day, one of the interesting elements here is that there's what fund managers call asymmetric risk, right? So if there really is no possibility for any deal whatsoever between the two sides, then the markets really could take a gigantic hit, which we've only just seen the surface of, really. Whereas if they come to a deal and they all decide to kind of be grown ups and sit around the table and sign a nice piece of paper, then the upside is quite limited. What's your take on that? Do you think there is more downside to come if this really does just keep deteriorating? I think there is. And I think even if you were to get a deal, I suspect 
any kind of rally you get in equities is selling opportunity because I think mm. once people start looking at the details of the deal, they'll realise that it's unenforceable. Let's bear in mind, China has flouted a lot of the trading rules since it joined the WTO. I mean, Donald Trump does have a point when he says they really aren't playing by the rules. And the Democrats aren't really opposing him on that. Well, again, being tough on China is a vote winner. And don't forget, the Democrats got blindsided by Donald Trump's focus on the Rust Belt in the last election. His message to workers who'd seen their industries contract and jobs go offshore really resonated powerfully. And the Democrats, again, this is one of the reasons why Joe Biden has stepped in the race and is now, based on various polls, the favourite. He can sort of step forward and talk about, as someone who grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, that he's going to work hard for the working class and, mm. you know, the old Rust Belt industries. So I think bashing China. And also the other thing, too, is this isn't just about trade. This is about intellectual property. It's about opening up markets. It's about China's rise to dominance in the Pacific. Yeah. And this is a much, much bigger of story. Course. Yeah. And I think bashing China on trade, it's easy for the US to use this yeah. as a way to actually try and get some results. Now, when people talk about China's retaliatory measures, China can also make life very difficult for the US in foreign policy terms by making it very difficult for the US to sort of get any agreement with Iran, North yeah. Korea and other countries. So just taking it back slightly to markets, mm -hmm. the one real potential point of tension here is the Chinese renminbi, yes. which has taken a hit on all of this. Obviously, it's a tightly controlled currency. The onshore exchange rate is, but it has been weakening. Now, the conspiracy theorists will tell you that that is the People's Bank of China deliberately weakening the currency. That strikes me as a stretch. But it certainly doesn't look like the Chinese authorities are standing in the way of a weaker currency. And that could prove to be a political issue in and of itself, right? It will. And I think also it touches on one of the really big unknowns about China. Just how fast is the economy growing at the moment? Yeah. We know they're very worried about the excessive rise of debt and the use of leverage. We know that they're trying to delever their economy. They're also trying to switch more from an export mercantilist type approach to a consumer-based economy. So in order to do that, you do need to have the currency being able to move in yeah. a band. And I think one of the things that I was concerned about a couple of months ago was hearing talk about how a trade deal, and this was talk coming out of the White House and, and Washington, was that China would be subject to a strict limit on its currency. That doesn't really work for China as it's trying to modernize and enter the global economy as a fully-fledged member. So they do need a little bit of leeway in their currency. Now, China is also very mindful that if you allow the currency to depreciate beyond 7 RMB per dollar, we haven't been there since 2008, then it opens the door potentially to capital flight. Um, so it would help exports, it, but it would have big political yes, and economic consequences. try and get their money out of China, yeah. which we've seen over the last few years. It also puts pressure on Chinese companies that have dollar-denominated debts, mm -hmm. which is a constant story in EM. And I think the other thing here too, of course, is that it would have huge collateral damage. It would really hurt Asia as a currency region mm. and Asian economies. And so China, in the past, they've said this, and Xi has reinforced the idea that we don't want to actually manipulate and push the currency much lower. So I think you're going to get a bit of weakness, a bit of a managed depreciation. And in turn, they will probably have to sell some US treasuries to defend the currency. Now, that will probably be taken by some in the market as, oh dear, look, China's now starting to dump treasuries, but far from it. China really can't liquidate 
a no. bunch of treasuries. It just holds too many of the it things. It holds too many. It would work <laughs> against it. It would cause all kinds of issues. It's a good weapon to have, but unfortunately, like nuclear weapons in general, you can't really use them. Unfortunately or fortunately, yes. but uh, either way, let's hope that if there is a new chapter that's opened up on this whole drama on the currency front, that we don't have too many tweets from Donald Trump about it. I'm afraid that's the one constant you can think on. <laughs> Lots of tweets. Okay, Mike, thanks very much. Thanks, Katie. That was Katie Martin talking to Michael McKenzie. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on Carlos Ghosn's Lebanon connections, elections in India, or body image and mental health, you can find them on all the usual podcast platforms. 